Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by not one, but two guests. Uh, One is a uh, guest we've had on at least once before, maybe twice, uh, Dr. Andrew Wakefield uh, and um, Mary Holland, who is the president of the Children's Health Defense. And they put out a great, have a great website. I think it's one of the top health sites out there, the Defender, and uh, love what they do. And they've, they're working, the, 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 the Children's Health Defense is actually uh, working with Andy for a film that he published about, um, well, I'll let them talk about it. It's called, exactly what the film is, and we'll go in detail. But this is not the, this is like the third or fourth film you've done, Andy, now? Is it number four. Number four, okay. So, so first, Vax, and was it Vax 2 after that? No, no, the first was um, Who Killed Alex Bordelakis, then Vax, then okay. 1986, The Act, and then yeah. this one. Yeah, I was in I... Vax 2, but didn't, it wasn't part of making it. Okay, okay. So the, the, uh, yeah, Vax, uh, 1986, the act was like two years ago. And, and you really was a great tribute to Barbara Lowe Fisher for the most part. <laughs> it was really a, a great, because she had a, played a big role in that. And you, you highlighted that many people weren't aware of that. So, but now you're, you're, you, you got a shorter film that really goes into detail about some of the infertility uh, intentions that, that seems to be pretty clear from the World Health Organization. So, I'm not sure who wants to take it from here, but uh, you're both equally qualified. So whoever wants to go and, and perhaps describe what the um, motivation for putting this together was. Right, I'm, I'm happy to talk about the film and Mary's much more the expert on contemporary vaccine issues and infertility. So maybe if Mary, I just talk a little bit about the film and then you take it from there. But thank you very much, Joe. It's great to be back on. Um, it's a very important story, and it's a story that I've been aware of for some years. I think a lot of people had heard about this intentional infertility vaccine program being conducted primarily in women in developing countries, such as Africa, but it had kind of gone into abeyance. So I, I didn't hadn't paid I hadn't paid due attention. I should have paid more attention to it. Is people had asked me over the years, you know, do you think at the end of a lecture, people would say, and they probably said this to you as well, Joe, do you think there is a population control agenda uh, behind this? And I would, I'm an and but not really very certain. So this discussion has been out there for a while and it essentially, uh, it, it focuses around a, a very acrimonious debate between on the one hand, the World Health Organization, and in this case, the Kenyan Public Health Service, and on the other hand, the Kenyan Catholic Doctors Association and the Catholic Bishops Association. And people should be aware that in Kenya, the Catholic Church is a very big healthcare provider. So a very significant proportion of healthcare is provided by the Catholic Church in Kenya. And the allegation had been that the World Health Organization under the guise of a neonatal tetanus prevention program had been deliberately uh, sterilizing women, either aborting, using a vaccine to abort existing pregnancies or to prevent future pregnancies. And they had done this under, as I say, the guise of protecting children rather than actually uh, reducing the population. And it, it came down to a, a, none of this was ambiguous. I mean, the, the, the fact that these vaccines had been in production, in development of production for a long time, since in the early 70s, in India, in New Delhi under Dr. Talwa was widely known, widely published. There was no uh, reticence about uh, putting this out there on the part of the World Health Organization. There was a clear intention to develop an anti-fertility vaccine. But the issue was one of complete lack of informed consent for these women, but much worse than that. It was the deliberate deception. It was you are getting this vaccine to protect your child when in fact you were being given a vaccine to prevent 
you having a child in the first place. So it really was, if it were true, then it was a new depth plumbed by the World Health Organization in terms of ethics and morals. And it came down to, to this. They said, right, okay, we'll test these vaccines for the anti-fertility component, HCG, human chorionic gonadotrophin. And we can go into that if you want. But um, what happened was they took samples from the field, samples that were actually out there being administered to Kenyan women in the villages. And the government product provided samples as well from the government stores with the same batch number as the samples from the field. So they were supposedly equivalent. When they measured them, over half the samples from the field were positive for the anti-fertility vaccine. All of the samples from the government stores were negative. And at that stage, the government, the World Health Organization went on the attack. They went on the attack against the doctors who had raised this issue. They hauled them up in front of their, their licensing body with the aim of having them struck off the medical register. And we've, we've seen that time and again, Joe. We know how that one works. You're the, classic used, you're the classic illustration of it. That's, that's absolutely. They use the media to demonize the Catholic Church and really insinuate that there had been deliberate contamination of these samples of HCG in order to produce the result they wanted, that this was you know, a, a fake experiment. And, that, that, and so that's where it remained until, and this is where it gets really interesting and where the film really comes into its own, is that our cameras were invited back in to the laboratory where these were measured, where these tests were done, where the government had commissioned the test to be done. So it was a highly accredited laboratory and the truth was revealed. Now, I'm not going to spoil it for your listeners, but it came down to a resolution of this key question. Who was lying? Who was being honest? Who was cheating? Who was not? And um, it, it, it's really an extraordinary story that woke me up to the importance of this issue. And there is an extraordinary prophetic statement at the end from the late Dr. Karanja, OBGYN from Africa, who was at the heart of all of this. And he said, when they are finished with Africa, they're coming for you. Mm -hmm. Keep your children ready. They will come for them and they will come for you. And that's probably a, a pertinent place to hand over to Mary because never could have a prophecy been more apt, more true. Yeah, I mean, I think, like Andy said, you know, um, it's been very hard to answer in the last 10 years when people would ask us, is there a depopulation agenda? Mm -hmm. You know, and people would point to things that Bill Gates said that sounded like, you know, how vaccines would reduce the population. And, you know, could was there an interpretation that, you know, it was going to make people more healthy and therefore they would choose not to have more children? You know, it was, it was murky. And I think <laughs> this film really helps us understand this is not a conspiracy theory. This is an absolute reality that the institution that the world governments are promoting as a fulcrum of a new kind of world government uh, around a biosecurity state and around pandemics um, and allegedly preventing them, that institution has funded and executed depopulation agendas. I think the film makes that 100% clear. There, there's just no question about it. And you see the kind of deceit, as Andy pointed out, the kind of deceit and deception. And, and just to point out, um, the, the, uh, the Rome statute for the International Criminal Court that most countries of the world have signed on to, not the United States, but almost all countries of the world have signed on to, it makes enforced sterilization a war crime. This is not a trivial thing to deprive people of informed consent and to sterilize them. And that's exactly what happened. And one of the interviews in the film that is so poignant is of a woman who cannot carry a pregnancy to term and she comes to realize that she has antibodies to this HCG um, material. And she realizes that the idea that somebody somewhere had made her infertile um, is, as she calls it, a diabolical agenda. And one of the things now that we understand this 
30-year program by the World Health Organization with funding from the United States, the U.S. Agency for International Development, that they developed these <clears throat> conjugate vaccines, that they implemented, they lied about it in Africa. We can now look back at what happened with the human papillomavirus vaccine which I co-wrote a book about in 2018. And one of the things we saw was that between the time that that vaccine was pushed around the world to girls and uh, women of childbearing ages or before childbearing ages, we saw the unexpected teen pregnancy rate drop 50% from 2007 to 2018, 50%. Now, you know, whatever one wants to think about unplanned pregnancies, that is a staggering drop over essentially 10 years. And people were reporting extreme reproductive effects from the HPV vaccine. And now we're hearing the same thing only much more so with respect to COVID shots. We're hearing that, you know, women are having miscarriages. Uh, babies are literally dying from breastfeeding mothers who, are, who have been recently vaccinated. Um, you know, con congenital deformities are being re reported to the vaccine adverse event reporting system. So it's now, I think, beyond the realm of, you know, conspiracy theory to say it is very plausible that these vaccines that are being pushed on the world, and particularly the COVID shots, have anti-fertility, strong anti-fertility effects. Yes, indeed. So <clears throat> uh, I, I, there's so many different ways that we can address or approach this. Um, I guess one of the points I wanted to, to dialogue about was the uh, issue of vaccine safety, uh, which is sort of central to all this. You are going to write a forward to the book, Turtles Going All the Way Down, and in that book, they very, uh, which was the original reason we had scheduled this interview, but we decided that this was a much better approach for, for the time. The, uh, they have a pretty, decent discussion on that very topic and how there's really never, never been any study ever performed on vaccines in the schedule that have, proved, that have shown them to be safe and effective. So I'm wondering if uh, either of you could uh, talk to that issue. Can I, I'll just say one thing uh, and then hand over off to Mary again, but something that struck me the other day, there was a, uh, a discussion online. It was a video presentation by Dr. Byron Bridal from Canada, a vaccinologist. And it really summed up the perception of safety, the almost kindergarten approach that the manufacturers and people like Tony Fauci have to the issue of safety. This is blanket statement, safe and effective. And in particular to this uh, topic that we're discussing today, the idea, the clear statement, in fact, that these vaccines had no adverse effects on reproduction and fertility without having done any studies at all. So the inference from the public, from women who are concerned about this issue is that, oh, the studies have been done and they're fine. They're not going to you know, impair my fertility when in fact, it is a complete lie. It is a lie by omission that the fact these studies have not been done, explicitly have not been done in pregnant women. And yet Fauci feels able to go out there and say, there is no evidence, none, no evidence at all. That it, yes, there is no evidence because you have not sought any evidence. And, and Byron Bridal made the point, he said, we have made a big mistake talking about the COVID vaccine. He said, we assume, we assume that it would remain at the site of injection. In other words, in the arm, in the deltoid muscle. And as with other childhood vaccines, we thought that, that would, it would remain there. We were wrong. Now, there's a fundamental misunderstanding from, from the outset. Those studies have never been done for the childhood vaccines. No one has ever sought to determine whether they remain, remain at the site of injection or not, or whether they disseminate throughout the body, which, of course, they do. So how naive, but a completely inappropriate assumption. The other assumption that was completely inappropriate is that you make any assumption at all. You are going to give this to 7 billion people. That is your intent. You're going to give it to 7 billion people and you're going to assume something about it, something about its safety. And then you discover after giving it to the majority of that 7 billion population that you were completely wrong. In fact, it goes throughout the body. The spike protein can be found in tissues throughout the body, including and in particular in the ovaries for the purpose of this discussion. 
and there it can set up an inflammatory reaction, autoimmunity, damage and infertility. There is no question that, that is biologically plausible. So here you have the mentality of these people that after the horses bolted, they are trying to shut the gate too late. If, the, if, if there is going to be damage, then the damage is done and it is too late. And that is totally, totally irresponsible. And people need to know that. The public need to know that. I can add to that I, 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 what Andy said, you know, they project themselves as, you know, Tony Fauci says, I am science. And it's so absurd because in point of fact, they have incentivized ignorance under the law. They have incentivized not knowing what the long-term effects are, particularly with COVID, these emergency use authorizations. And what's particularly stunning in terms of the absolute abdication from science is that the Centers for Disease Control has said it's perfectly fine to co-administer the COVID shots with everything else on the childhood schedule. That is going to have untold horrific uh, likely effects now that they have authorized these shots for the age group where children get most of their vaccines, the infants, the toddlers, the young children. Pediatricians, very, very ignorant about vaccines in general, they get about a half a day in medical school teaching them about what vaccines really do. Most pediatricians will say, hey, you know, the CDC, the FDA says it's fine, AAP, you know, it's, I make money on it. They are going to be co-administering these shots with other things. And there is no science to back that up, none. Yes, <clears throat> that's a whole big story itself. And for, I'm not sure where we're going to air this interview, but uh, it, the, 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 what you just referenced only happened a few days ago, less than a week ago, where these vaccines were, not the, the vaccines, the shots or the jabs were uh, authorized for children six months to five years and, that, and one of the most egregious crimes against humanity with no evidence for them. And we're going to have at least one or two art, lead articles on going deep into that discussion. Um, so um, it seems obvious, especially after watching this movie, and as you referenced earlier, that uh, in, in response to as many of the questions that you've received and I've received, is, that, is there a depopulation agenda? And it sounds like a far-fetched conspiracy theory, but after you watch this, this movie, it certainly adds a lot of credibility to it. And the question I have for both of you after reviewing the evidence is, you, you, there's no way you would know for sure because you have to be in the, the inner cabal to, to have, have uh, access to their, their inner dialogues. But with respect to their intentions, do you, do you think it's, which is more likely that they knew that this infertility and sterilization component was, was a significant variable in the side effect profile of, of the jab? Or do you think they were unaware of it and it just, oh, it's just another bonus they got because obviously there was, I mean, they had, I mean, they, this, this whole design of this bioweapon was thought out, it was never tested. They just engineered in a lab and then released it. So it, it, it seems to me that they may not have been aware that it could cause this, but they just, it was like an unexpected bonus. I think if we're talking about the COVID vaccine, the answer is very likely that they, the possibility of it causing untold harm was very real, mm -hmm. right from the outset. It's an entirely new experiment. As far as Kenya goes, and, and the, 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 the known anti-fertility anti vaccine, I just want to say one thing, and Joe, and that goes to the issue of who you trust, who you believe, who you... There is... Um, people are very sophisticated in their watching of films and their understanding of the human condition. And if you... The thing about being a filmmaker is you, you look at footage over and over and over again as you're cutting the story together and you look at the individuals involved in the story both for and against the issue on you know of the antagonist and you know viscerally not here but here in your gut you know who is telling the truth and who is lying and it is quite clear and it will be quite clear to everybody who watches this film who is lying and who is telling the truth and the other thing to say on that issue is the naysayers, the, the Kenyan government, the World Health Organization, will say, come out and say, oh, these doctors were lying. They were making it up. They were contaminating it. That didn't really happen in the laboratory. They'll come up with any excuse at all. 
let me make it very clear that the laboratory that did this testing did so at huge risk to themselves. Um, they were broken into, they were attacked, they were... In Kenya, I've worked in Kenya, and if you want, you need to understand Africa. Africa is a very, very harsh environment compared with the developed world, compared with where we live. Life is cheap, life is really cheap, and that's tragic, it should not be that way. But to be in this film, for those doctors, for that laboratory scientist to be in this film and say what they said on camera was a huge risk, not a risk they will have undertaken lightly, but they did so in the interests of the issue and the women who were being damaged by this deliberate vaccine policy. So please bear that in mind when you hear the naysayers about this film, bear in mind the risk that those people took no benefit to themselves, only risk. And then ask your question, yourself the question, is this real or is it not? For me, one of the things that's so important about this film is again, it takes it up completely out of the realm of conspiracy theory, what the intent and what the execution was in Kenya. It's very clear that these vaccines were designed to cause infertility. The schedule was different than a tetanus vaccine schedule uh, and the result was, you know, causing infertility. So I think with that in mind, you know, what they were designing in Wuhan, which even now the World Health Organization has recognized is the likely source of this worldwide virus, um, they were designing bioweapons. I mean, so as, as Andy says, Clearly, they were not concerned about the harms that it would cause, and I think plausibly they would have recognized it would have all kinds of harms, as we've seen, right? Some people have strokes, some people have hearts, some people have brain injuries, some people have paralysis, and some people have reproductive harms. And that's much like what we saw with the human papillomavirus vaccine. It caused pervasive harms. And it was even this new mRNA technology is even a newer, completely, <laughs> inadequately tested technology. So it's it's not hard to impute some level of intent, but again, lack of knowledge has been incentivized by this whole paradigm, which is an emergency use. And let's not forget that the Food and Drug Administration on June 28th is going to be talking about a future framework where they are going to, you know, make institutionalize this idea that there will be no testing going forward on pandemic shots. There will be no clinical trials. That's what they're going to talk about at the end of June. So yeah, the legal, essentially, there are no clinical trials now. It's all fabricated. Correct. Manipulated. Correct. But I mean, but this now is it's not going a real to be test. sort of institutionalized. So yeah, yeah. this is very, very, of course, there will be harmful effects on fertility. And again, people just have to, now I think it's becoming very clear, we just have to reject all of this. It is corrupted to its core. It's anti-human. I mean, it's truly anti-human. And so I, I think the, the, the reality that we're in becomes clearer. I think just to follow up on that, as a sort of note of hope, and the three of us have been in this this debate, this battle for a very long time, and we've seen this, and and people coming to this anew may think that we're in a terribly dark time, Um, but I see it differently. Having been in this now for 30 years, when I started out, a handful of people around the world were prepared to discuss, debate the thorny issue of vaccine safety. Now I read the other day that 70% of American adults have rejected the CDC's recommended protocol for the COVID vaccine. They either didn't get the first dose, they didn't get the second dose, or they have refused to get the boosters saying this is neither necessary nor is it safe. And so those people, according to mainstream media, that 70% of American adults are anti-vaxxers. So whether they believe it or know it at this stage or not, they've joined our team. And they've lost. The other side have lost. This is a desperate, desperate measure, a Hail Mary pass, one Hail Mary pass after another, and it's failing very, very badly. So for those of you who have not seen it from an historical perspective, take heart, because the world really, really is waking up in an extraordinary way. And uh, part of that has been filmed. A large part of that has been filmed. Film has reached the masses in a way that they not only can understand, but does the heavy lifting, but it is the 
silver lining of the dark cloud of COVID is that it has woken so many people up to the idea that you're going to put that into me. You're going to tell me I've got to take that or I can't go to work or I can't go to, no way. And my friend, by the way, just dropped dead at the age of 35 next door, not touching it. So there is an inevitability to what is happening here and they will not get away with it for very much longer. Well, I'm not sure about that, but they've been very clever. We were in the middle of the most sophisticated and effective propaganda campaign ever designed in the history of the entire world. No question. And Matthias Desmus uh, speaks about this. He's the uh, clinical psychologist out of Belgium that Robert Malone popularized. And he's convinced, and there's a number of other experts that I've interviewed that are also convinced that there's 30% of the population, which fits in with the statistics you just quoted, that 70% haven't taken the full jab, uh, that are permanently brainwashed and hypnotized. So they are not going to change no matter what film you show, no matter what evidence. Their critical thinking skills in this area have evaporated. They are non-existent. So there's, there's no way these people are ever going to be turned around. Sadly, they're going to suffer the consequences for, for that propaganda, propagandizing and brainwashing. So um, this just come up. But I want, the, the next point I wanted to go over was um, the point that you addressed that we've been in this for a long time. I'm not sure when you started, Mary, but certainly Andy and I have been doing this for more than 30 years. It's a long time. So that we've been opposed to this. And the number percentage of people who have taken this position 30 years ago was very small. It wasn't in the 70% range. It was like one, two, it was well under 5%. I don't know that stats on it were ever done, but it seems like it was one or 2%, maybe three that, that voiced objections to this. And mostly the, the, the strongest objections were people like Barbara Fisher who started this, you know, 40 years ago in the in the in the early 80s, uh, and that was a result of many of the other people who ultimately became involved is because they were they had personal experience with vaccine injury. That was a relatively minor percentage of the population. Now we know with this this, this COVID jab, I mean that the injuries due to the jab and deaths due to the jab are cumulatively maybe an exponentially more than all the vac previous vaccines put together. So obviously that's gonna increase the awareness to this and, and, and expose this fraud that's been not just the last two years, but ever since the vaccines were rolled out. Right. So I, I think that's a, it's an interesting uh, point to dialogue about, because, especially with your, your uh, massive discreditation and uh, per persecution campaign that's been thrown at you for the last two decades. Uh, and effectively de-license you, cause you, you know, enormous shame. And the, such a small percentage of the population really understands the truth and went on, went, went on with your case. But I would say almost everyone watching this knows that. So I don't think we have to belabor the point and go into details because it's well documented. You, you know, you shared your side of the story and it's very clear what happened. But I wonder if you could, you know, I, I think that maybe the, 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 the silver lining in this whole craziness that we've gone through the last two years is that it's wakened or awoke so many people to the truth and the reality that we've known about for, for the last 30 years. I think that's certainly my experience. You know, when people like Bobby came on board, firstly, people say, and people coming to this anew were of the opinion at the beginning, Peter McCullough and people like this, that, look, I don't have a problem with the childhood vaccine schedule. That's absolutely fine. But I do have a problem with this new vaccine. And here are the reasons why. Some of them still and believe that. That's right. No, no, but, and and the, the interest, and I, I look at that and I listen to it and I think, well, now you need to study the history. You need to study the history of Barbara Lowe Fisher. You need to study the history of how this all built up, how this, um, the, the dynamics of this entire debate over the last 20, uh, 30, 40, as you say, 40 years. And when you do that, you will realize that we all started that way. We had one vaccine that we consider, or one component we consider to be a problem. Why? Because that is what the parents said when they came to the clinic. That is the root of clinical medicine. As you know, Joe, they came and they said, and this was when MMR was given in isolation in the UK at 15, 18 months. So mothers could say, this happened, then this happened next. And so that was the starting point. That is the clinical starting point, listening to the parent, listening to the patient or the patient's parent and taking your clues from there. Then I came to testify before Congress and I heard about thimerosal. What's thimerosal? I thought, 
Bobby came to it from the belief that thimerosal was the fundamental problem. Chris Axley came to it from the perspective that it was aluminum. Then we all came to the collective realization that in fact, this was far more complex than we had previously imagined. And they were making it more and more complex by the year, by adding more vaccines into the schedule, lumping them all together. As Mary said, the idea of these vaccines being safe in combination was one they'd never tested, but merely assumed to be safe. So we all came to it from that perspective. It is, that is the history of this. And then we came to the realization that it is some cumulative toxicity, some interactive effect, some potentiation that is leading to this massive increase in, for example, neurodevelopmental or in immunological disorders. And had we been allowed to continue the research, any of us, all of us allowed to continue the research, we would have answers now, but we don't. We don't have answers because the work was sabotaged at every turn, was stopped. And now we are living in a state of greater ignorance than we were before. We were living in a, in a world of man-made diseases. It's absolutely staggering. None of this need ever have happened. And yet here we are with all of these new conditions or new variants on an old theme like regressive autism, that we did not see before. That is something that man has created. Just as easily, man could get rid of it if we took the initiative. And that's what collectively we have to do. That's what Children's Health Defense is doing, Spot you're doing, alerting people to this, waking them up to this, and it's working. It really is working. I can just add to that, you know, Children's Health Defense takes the position before COVID, over 50% of American children suffer some, some, from some kind of chronic health condition. That's mm -hmm. insane, right? That is just absolutely insane and dramatically changed from the early 80s when that was about 12% of children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe there will always be some level of disability and some level of illness, but as Andy points out, this is man-made. But I think in addition to this extraordinary propaganda war that we've been in and these very sophisticated forms of mind control that are particularly well suited to the um, kind of social media world we live in, let's not forget about the role of censorship. <laughs> government sponsored, government um, aligned censorship by the social media platforms, by the corporate media. Um, propaganda and censorship work. And that's the reason uh, that governments love and corporations love propaganda and censorship so much. But despite the censorship, despite the propaganda, this film, Infertility, a Diabolical Agenda, your material, Dr. Mercola, the material at Children's Health Defense is getting out. And we mm -hmm. are developing, you know, audiences in the millions. And so I agree with, uh, I've been at this more than two decades. I, I agree with Andy that uh, this is the dream, right? People are coming to us and people are learning as they go. People like Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Corey, they are on a very steep learning curve. Um, and I think we're all coming to understand it's not even, it's not just the shots. It's not just the pesticides. It's not just the GMO foods. It's not just all of the toxicity in the air. It's all of those things that are together creating essentially an anti-human environment. And that's, I think, where we can come together with so many different constituencies. People, it's not only sort of about pharma, but it's about, I think most humans want to live in a pro-human environment, I really do. And I think the corporate government world we're in right now is genuinely anti-human. Couldn't agree more. That's what I've been exposing for the last 25 years in my newsletter. Uh, you know, it's certainly the vaccine and the pharma part of it, not just the vaccines, but the drugs. I mean, right. Pfizer is the main producer of these vaccines. And prior to that, uh, the most uh, profitable drug ever in the history of the world were the statin drugs. And they were the primary reaper of those benefits with Lipitor, which I think it was over $10 billion. Maybe, maybe collectively to all the manufacturers might've been a trillion, but they've, they've, uh, that, uh, those numbers have been displaced now by the COVID jabs, which is probably exceeding $50 billion in profit to Pfizer alone, Pfizer alone, $50 billion. So it's that you've got the gut, these other policies, which just in, enact processes and structures and, and strategies that essentially extract profits from the population in exchange and give them a minimal convenience in exchange for their health. 
And it's tragic that we've gotten to that. So I wanted to mention one point that occurred to me as we were talking about the, this, getting back to the safety of the vaccines. One of the things, and I'm sure you wrote about it in your book, and I, I, I didn't realize that you'd written a book about HPV. I would have had you on for that. Maybe we'll do it for later. But the, but the uh, this is a point brought up in the Turtles book, and I've known about before. But when you hear it again, it just like, boggles your mind. Is that in any safety study, you compare the intervention with a placebo? With a placebo means something that doesn't cause any difference. It's just in their mind they think it's a real component. But they don't use real placebos in, in every one of the vaccine trials, except the, except the COVID jab. Interesting. Right. They used a real placebo, but then they, I think it was either three, you would know, Mary, it was either three or six months, they stopped it. Yeah. They, well, they, they, they terminated they the, the controls, right? In every yeah. one of the things they've done, they've given the jabs to their alleged controls. So there is no possibility of long-term safety. I mean, this is- Zero, again, none, it's impossible. It's impossible. This is anti-science, right? This is not, people have to understand this is purely about profit-taking. This is purely about other agendas. This has nothing to do with science. And you're absolutely right. Up until COVID, there has never been a childhood vaccine that was tested against a true placebo. They're either, there's no control or they're tested against a sort of a, 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 a prior type of a vaccine that itself is toxic. In the HPV <laughs> clinical trials, they tested it against a solution that contained aluminum so that it would have similar toxic effects. I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors. The deception is extraordinary. Um, and I think we're coming to the end of that era. I mean, people even I, I watched a clip of Bill Gates not long ago speaking at Davos saying, you know, I really hope that the fact that the COVID shots that, you know, they haven't worked as well as we'd hoped, you know, Omicron has really been more effective, but I certainly hope it doesn't spill over onto the childhood schedule. Well, guess yeah. what? It's absolutely spilled over onto the childhood schedule. And now half of all parents are questioning whether they should be giving their kids the childhood shots. So I think we're in a new era, which is the great news. People are waking up. What's really interesting about that, Mary, is that you and I know that had Bobby Kennedy not gone to the White House and said to Francis Collins at the White House, where's the vax unvax study? Where's the comparison of the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated? They've never been done for any study. Francis Collins said, quote, we will never do that study. They will never do that study. But what's interesting is that for the first time, as you two point out, for the COVID vaccine, they did a placebo arm. Why? Mm -hmm. Not because they wanted to. Oh, absolutely. Not because they wanted to fund that, but because they knew that the public were onto them. They knew that the Bobby Kennedys of this world were onto them and they were watching them. So they had to do it. So they did it, as you say, for the first time ever. Yeah. But then what did they do? They gave the placebo recipients the vaccine. And then they tried to hide the data for what, 75 years more? Right. And then, years. so they knew there were problems. They had identified the problems doing the appropriate study, at least to start with, until they gave the crossover group the, the vaccine. And then they tried to hide the data because they knew it revealed the seriousness of the adverse reactions to their vaccine. And that, fortunately, the courts overrule, and now that those data are being analyzed, and they are terrifying. Yeah, They're horrendous. Yeah, but of course, by the time the data emerge and something's done about it, Pfizer, half of Pfizer will be billionaires and, and uh, they'll all have moved on because they don't care about the longevity of Pfizer. What they care about is their bonus, move on. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very dangerous world in which we live, but it is again a measure of the impact mm -hmm. that public awareness is having on their need or their perceived need to actually try and do something properly. Mary, I, I wonder if you could comment on this because I suspect you've looked into it. It's re with respect to the new placebos, the, the only placebos we have now are the people who didn't get jabbed and that, you know, had no jabs, which might be, I don't know, what your take on it is, it might be under 50%, 40%, I don't know. That's, those are the true placebos. So I'm wondering if you can comment on the perversion of the statistics that have happened in recording who's been vaxxed and who's not been vaxxed. Because as I understand, they want to hide the data as much as possible. So they are limiting in whatever records, electronic medical records are out there, the proper identification of those who've been jabbed or fully jabbed. So that they're, they're, they're lowering the numbers to hide the data. Right, right. Um, you know, it's not at my fingertips, but my recollection, Joe, is that um, you aren't considered 
fully jabbed until 14 days after you've gotten the shot. So Second, if you died in those 13 days, or if you develop COVID, that's not going to be reflected in the data. And in yeah, fact, that, that, that was used early on, but, yeah. but, but now that they're collecting the data on all these injuries, which, which is shocking. I don't even think that maybe that's the, the strategy they're using. There is no effort, no intention, no, no intention. nothing put forward to find out in all these deaths that they've no. been jabbed or not. No I, one's collecting the data. No they, one's collecting the data. They've discouraged autopsies from the get-go. Theirs is the only publicly available system. There are credible allegations that the VAERS system has been manipulated to reduce the deaths that are there. But let's not forget that the government actually has told us they have 10 other reporting systems. They have mm -hmm. BeSafe online. They have many, many. They have DMED from the military. So we are doing doing Freedom of Information Act requests on those reporting systems. I mean, I think what we know anecdotally is that the scale of these injuries and deaths is enormous. And we're particularly learning this from the insurance agencies, right? Insurance companies, both in Europe and in the United States. So in 2021, it, from one life insurance in the United States and Indiana company, we know that 18 to 64 year olds suffered a 40% excess death rate. Now, not specifically COVID vaccine related, but 40%, as they said, they said a 10% shift would be a one in 200 year occurrence. A 40% shift is ca beyond catastrophic. And that's what we're looking at. So these are secrets that can't be hidden, right? They may try very hard to keep this information together for 75 years. But I don't think we're so far off, honestly, from people showing up um, who are going to be, you know, <laughs> angry is not the word. Uh, you know, angry is not the word. I think when children start dying in the wake of this latest um, <clears throat> action by the FDA, I think that you, you can argue that elderly people with diabetes or being overweight might die intercurrently, but young people don't die, not like this, not like we're seeing the, the deaths of very fit athletes on football fields, soccer fields, you know, we're just we're seeing things we've never seen before, it's alarming. A great number of people. Well, they, 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 they changed the story. They, they put out propaganda campaigns. It's normal for kids to have a stroke and heart attacks. It's normal. It's just, it's not common. It's just normal, though. So don't be so I don't think people are buying that, Joe. I think that, <laughs> no, but that's right, what there the are story they're saying. Of people who are, who will believe it, who will believe them. And there is a sort of accelerated neo Darwinism going on, this survival of the fittest. Those people, as you point out, are going to pay a price. They're not going to survive. Um, they're simply not. That is just a fact of life, and um, but many are waking up too late, too late, but many are. So we're getting back to your movie. Uh, I'm wondering what was the justification they used for the perversion of the vaccine, the vaccine schedule? Because admittedly, the story was that they were seeking to prevent neonatal tetanus, which a tetanus booster is once every ten years, and and to do this. Um, build up the antibodies against HCG, they needed to do one booster every six months, five boosters, right? It's a two and a half year process. So how, what story did they use to, to, to get away with that? Just a little bit of background to, to, to why this would happen. What they did is HCG, human chorionic gonadotrophin, is the first hormone produced by the fertilized ovum. And it is essential to promoting progesterone production downstream to sustain a healthy pregnancy. So they reasoned that if they could target, induce an immune response against HCG, they could either abort an existing pregnancy or prevent a pregnancy taking place in the first instance. And when they injected women with HCG, it didn't work. But they then experimented and they found that when they joined HCG together with another molecule, the most successful one being the tetanus toxoid from the tetanus vaccine, then that acted like an adjuvant, rather like aluminum in childhood vaccines. It boosted, it promoted an immune response. And so the mothers then, or the would-be mothers, then produced an immune response to their own HCG. And that was the end of, of pregnancy. But you're absolutely right. One of the thing, things they had to do to get an effective immune response that was an anti-fertility response was to give five doses of the vaccine over six months. But that's nothing like the tetanus vaccine program, which you only need one every five, 10 years. So it was overtly 
the tetanus vaccine program and the, but the World Health Organization tried to dance around that somehow. It was a completely unconvincing argument, it had nothing to do with it whatsoever. It was quite obvious what they were doing. Um, but they did believe, and this is what I found, I think they found it relatively, and this is the tragedy, relatively easy to exploit the populations, the villages of, of Kenya, because they didn't have access to the libraries or to the media or to the social media that would have informed them that this was in fact not the case. And so they were trusting, not anymore, not anymore. And now Mary will report, and there was a, uh, a sort of Pan-African Congress this weekend, I gather, saying to effectively to the World Health Organization, we need to protect our women, hands off, get out, we're going to make our, Mary, you'll be able to tell us more about that. But that was a momentous event because there you have Africa taking the initiative and saying to the World Health Organization, no more. And if the World Health Organization can't operate in a country, a continent like Africa, then they're finished. Yeah, I can speak to that just briefly. So the World Health Organization is sort of uh, following a two-track course to get to what they say in 2024 will be a new international treaty, which basically will put the World Health Organization at the center of global health and governance de facto. And so one track was through um, U.S. proposed international health regulations. The U.S. proposed 12 regulations in December that would really put WHO at the center of these things and put in place very draconian regulations that would allow the WHO to supersede any decisions at the national government level. And in a vote on those new international health regulation amendments, 47 African countries rejected all of them. So Africa really led the way in saying, no, we don't trust the WHO. We don't want the WHO in this role. And that's very exciting because Africa absolutely has been exploited in every which way um, by the WHO and their partners, their pharmaceutical industry partners. Um, I don't think that, you know, the WHO agenda is not dead. We still have a lot of work yeah, to yeah. do. Uh, but clearly, we, we did have on Saturday an African Sovereignty Coalition launch, which you can see on the Children's Health Defense TV website. And it was very exciting. There were activists, advocates, physicians, scientists from all over Africa, and then supporters from around the world. And it's very exciting. I think Africa is sending a message loud and clear. We will not put up with this. Yeah, can you comment on what your take is on the, the WHO's efforts to initiate this control and of uh, defining when a pandemic occur, occurs and having the authority to enable just about any type of emergency mandates. Uh, so I know that is it, I think they have one or two more meetings this year, they're gonna try to pass that and what, what, what's your take and any uh, preventive actions that Anyone well, I think we have to understand that much like the regulatory bodies and the science bodies in the United States, the NIH, CDC, FDA have been captured. They are captured, captured agencies. The World Health Organization has been captured. And the primary capturers are the Communist Party of China, you know, China and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation together with Gavi and CEPI and so on. They are, from everything I understand, they are the prime movers. And so we know that Gates and China are absolutely behind this idea that the World Health Organization should be able to be sort of the global SWAT team. And so Bill Gates just came out with a book, you know, that how to prevent the next pandemic, which is basically how to <laughs> mastermind the next pandemic, if you ask me. And they want to create this 3,000 person germ team that will follow, you know, the development of viruses. And if they say, let's say, you know, okay, Nigeria, you have a pandemic, they want to be able to override anything Nigeria has to say about that and implement lockdowns, forcible vaccination, testing, and so on. What we've just gone through is sort of the trial run. And actually this, this coming week, uh, you know, the World Health Organization is going to meet to discuss whether monkeypox is the new public health emergency of international concern. And they're going to rebrand monkeypox to make it less stigmatizing. I you can't make this stuff up. Um, I don't think the world is going to buy it, but uh, they're trying to have this international agreement in place by August 2024. That's their line. I think mm. the regulations didn't succeed. That was that was a round failure. 
Uh, but now there well, was it largely because of the Africans, right? Yes, it was largely because of the 47 African countries, but even US allies did not vote in favor of these regulations. So it was more than just Africa, but Africa truly led the way on this. Uh, but I think that suggests that they're in for a much rougher road. Now, you know, if we listen to Bill Gates and others, you know, they're telling us there will be another pandemic. And, you know, so I think fear, propaganda, censorship work to some extent. I think we're not done with the pandemic paradigm uh, before 2024, sadly. But again, people are waking up. I, I don't think you can roll this all out a second time and have people not be skeptical. Uh, so you know, we'll, we'll take it one day at a time. But, um, you know, I believe that the World Health Organization and its backers will fail. And certainly many people around the world, Children's Health Defense included, are working on lawsuits to, you know, be able to prove uh, that these there's fraud going on here. This is criminal activity. And certainly, you know, the authorization for these children, we're going to amend the lawsuit that we have, which is to contest the vaccine, the, you know, jabs for five to 11 year olds that the FDA authorized. We'll just amend that for these younger children. This is devastating. This is a crime against humanity. There is no justification for young children getting these shots. They are not at risk of serious injury or death from COVID, but they certainly are at risk from these shots. But I don't know if I mentioned in the introduction that you're the chief legal counsel for CHD. So your insights on this are really uh, to be well noted or taken seriously because you're, that's your full-time. That was my uh, first lawyer. job at CHD. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but is, do you think, that, what, what's your projection or guess as to how effective these lawsuits will be? Or oh. do you think that the, 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 the federal court system is so yeah. captured also that they're just not effective? You know, it, it is, however... Um, I like to say one of the things I've learned over the last two years from many of the really amazing lawyers I'm working with is that courts follow culture. And what we're seeing is that as public opinion shifts, um, the courts are also becoming much more receptive to the notion that there is fraud going on, right? And they are becoming much more receptive to the idea that there are conflicts of interest that are serious and that the processes for exemptions have been bogus and that doctors have been intimidated. So I think we're likely to see many more successful lawsuits going forward in the next two years than in the last two years. Just to mention last week in New York, for instance, um, two judges who are assigned to cases that we are supporting and litigating about um, the religious exemptions of New York City employees, two judges had published their stock holdings. They owned between 50 and $500,000 in Pfizer stock. They were forced to recuse themselves. That was carried by mainstream news. I think the, the, the population is coming to understand that there are conflicts of interest that that pro prohibit, that prevent these people from being unbiased. And I think it's, it's a question of time. And I think we're, we're in a race against time, but I do believe that lawsuits are likely to be more successful as time goes on. And I think we're already seeing that. We struck down the OSHA mandate. We struck down the mask mandates in transportation. We got access to the Pfizer documents. And I think there's more good news coming from the courts. I really do. Well, the big one on the table is if you can prove fraud in your legal view, would that remove the, the legal yes. the immunity they have to prosecution and, it would. and judgments? So it's a very high standard under the PREP Act. So these um, COVID jabs are under the 2005 PREP Act, which is mm -hmm. about emergency preparedness. It's a very high bar. I would argue, I do argue that that law itself is unconstitutional. But what that law requires is to show willful misconduct by clear and convincing evidence, you have to take a case to a panel of three federal judges in Washington, DC. I believe that at this point, we're getting very, very close to that um, threshold where we can prove willful misconduct by clear and convincing evidence. And at that point, it, I think it will be clear to the whole population, these liability protections, the, it's, the, it's the liability protection on the back end and the mandates at the front end that makes this whole enterprise possible. I think there are serious attacks on both of those. And by the time the whole truth comes out, the whole vaccine paradigm disappears because <laughs> oh, no. oh, oh, man. I, I think it's in our sights. I really do. I think the 
evidence of the health of the unvaccinated is so overwhelmingly superior to the health of the vaccinated. And that story is coming out. Children's Health Defense is coming out with a book this fall by Dr. Brian Hooker and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about the science showing how much healthier unvaccinated people are. So I think I think the truth is going is coming out, and uh, I think the stakes are very high for the next couple of years. But I really do believe that at the end of these couple of years, we will be in a whole new a whole new paradigm of vaccines and health. Wow, that's some of the most encouraging projections and insights I've heard in a long time. That's really great. Well, cool. I can't guarantee you, but I I, no, I know, but at least it, to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. So. It's great. It's just awesome. I got to get a copy of that book. Is it being published by Skyhorse Publishing? Yes, we will. It's not done yet. It's in the works. But uh, we we believe that the this science that the government refuses to do, showing the real difference between people who are unvaccinated and vaccinated, is critical. And I that's, believe that's that a big people story. are now really ready to see that information. People have seen enough about the bad side of COVID shots that they are now open to this. And so I think we're likely to see a sea change. I, I'd be interested to. Hear hear your views, but I, I really believe that people are waking up. It's good. So, uh, and part of it is the work that's been done by uh, those who preceded us. You know, I'm one of them, Andy's one of them, and many others. So, uh, and this movie is a big part of the, the providing the data inform and information that people need to understand that there's some serious problems here. So with respect, going back to the movie, which is the initial reason for this dialogue, uh, how can one see that, see, view the movie? I don't think there's a charge for it. I know I was able to, no, I was it's able absolutely to free. Yeah, uh, yeah. Andy, go ahead. Well, just to say, it, uh, you've got the links to embed into your site, Joe, so people can come to you and they yeah. can, your, okay, so your we'll regular have more. listeners and viewers can, can yeah. see we'll, it. On. We'll embed it into the article, so you don't have to go searching for it. It'll be Excellent. right on the page of the interview, Excellent. so that, that works then, out really well. The alternative is to go to infertilitymovie.org. Uh, get it right, org, not com infertilitymovie.org and uh, the movie is available for free there i think mike adams is also streaming it so uh we're keen just to get it out as far and wide as possible great also so, children's health defense tv it's on our website as well um, a lot of places to get it hmm. chd tv ran a bunch of very informative expert panels over the last week getting experts in OBGYN and fertility and other things in to talk about it. So those are well worth watching as well. This is a short film, uh, only 30 minutes, but you want to watch it to the end. And why do people want to watch it to the end? Because the, there's like almost 10 minutes before yes. the credits start rolling. Well, after the credits, actually, there's very important information that if people just sort of left at the end of the actual film about Africa, they would miss. It's very important. It's sort of updating this Africa story to what's happening right now. And so we have Dr. Michael Yeadon talking about what's known about the COVID shots and the potential implications for fertility. We have another physician talking about what the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was doing in Africa in other ways to control fertility. Um, so we, we sort of bring it up to speed. We have another gynecologist talking about what happened with the human papillomavirus vaccine. So I think for people to have an understanding that it didn't just end in Africa, and that it's happening worldwide is very important. Yeah, unfortunately, your the timing wasn't ideal because <laughs> you were competing with the hearings going on for approval of the jab for the six months olds to five year olds. Uh, and so, you know, there, there was, uh, I mean, they're similar, but they, they were, that was definitely taking up a lot of the news space in this, in this area. So, um, well, this is great. I want to thank you for what you're doing. Anything, anything else you'd like to mention about this thank the you next, the next movie's on the way like, oh what's the next one i can't well here's the thing the next movie is huge it's a big it's it's a full-length uh, narrative feature in the genre of erin brockovich the insider the big short okay so um, it's it was co-written by uh, i wrote it with terry rossio and you'll say well who's terry rossio and the writers never get the credit, but Terry Rossio wrote some little-known films like Shrek, Pirates of the Caribbean, Aladdin, Godzilla versus King Kong, you know, <laughs> a man at the top of his game. It's, it's, um, it's a very powerful film. It will really move the mindset. It will take those who have been awoken by 
the issue of COVID and COVID vaccines, it will take them across the bridge from the adult vaccine schedule, you're not going to put this in me, to the to the realization that this has been happening in the childhood vaccine schedule since the very beginning. And so it's it's a very, very important film. Is that coming out? Which we're in pre-production on at the moment. This year or next year? It will be next year. Okay. And actually, I'll, I'll give a preview as well. We also are working on the next film, which is a film version of Bobby Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci. So that's- you, I, you, I, On that book, and you would know, but it's such a long book. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to have one of the few, the few uh, draft versions to review before it got posted, published. But I thought in that book, that he actually discussed this infertility issue that was going oh, on. Yes, yes, he does. He, yeah. I thought he did, yeah. Yes, he does, absolutely. And it was so, there's so many points he brings well, up. It it, it's a very comprehensive book and it's a very dense book. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I, we're excited that there will be a movie version coming oh, out great. later this year, which will make it more accessible to people. Yeah, that's, that's all good news, all really great news. Well, thank you both so much for what you're doing. Uh, really your commitment, your dedication, your perseverance to make a difference in people's lives uh, in this really important topic. So you're, you. do, you're doing great work. Thank you so Thank much you, for all you're doing.